0: This is the Maxiao Leadership Podcast.
1: You know this about me. I'm passionate about people. I'm passionate about relationships. I think people, um, people for us, certainly at CVS Health, because we're a service company, you know, they differentiate. They make us great or not great. We could have the best strategy. We could have the best um, resources. But if our people aren't on board and excited and representing us in the way that um, we need them to. We're not going to be the best that we can be. As a leader personally is really important. Take the time to think about what really matters for you, what you want to stand for. And then, you know, at the end of every day, just take a minute and say, did I do that? And if I didn't, because you won't, every day you won't, you won't have done what you wanted to do perfectly. And think about, you know, How am I staying true to what I wanna be and how am I continuing to improve in a way that makes me better, but much more importantly, the people that I have the opportunity to influence better. Seven years ago, um, I had a birthday um, and went to Italy to celebrate my birthday. And when I came back, I had a mammogram scheduled and um, I was really tempted to cancel it um, because I had been out of the office for a few days and we all know how that is. And so I thought my first instinct was automatically, I need to move this, like I, can't, not today. I didn't even realize the scheduling and I was like, looked at the calendar and I thought not today, I'm going to cancel it. And for some reason I didn't, I went to the mammogram very quickly. I learned I needed to have a biopsy and very quickly I learned it was breast cancer.
0: My guest today is one of the most dedicated and caring leader I know. Lori Avner is an innovative leader who partners with executive teams to build strategic, people-focused human resource strategies. She is an experienced HR professional who has worked across all human resources functions and currently serves as Executive Vice President and Chief People Officer at CVS Health, one of the largest companies in the world. With a workforce of 300,000 diverse and talented employees across the United States, CVS Health is a different kind of healthcare company whose purpose is centered around, and I quote, bringing our heart to every moment of your health, end quote. Proud to CVS, Laurie was Executive Vice President and Chief People Officer at Otis Elevator, the world leading elevator and escalator company. Before joining Otis, Lori served as corporate vice president at United Technologies Corporations and was also a senior HR leader at Aitna. Without further ado, let's welcome Lori Avner. Welcome Lori to our show.
1: Thanks so much, Max. I'm absolutely delighted to join you for a conversation today. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, this is one that I was particularly looking forward to because, you know, when I think about leadership, I think, Laurie, because of the way you connect with people, and uh, I think it's really going to be a great conversation. Thank you for taking the time for us.
1: Truly a pleasure, and thank you. you made my day already.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Laurie, you lead today human resource for one of the largest company in the world, you know, CVS Health, which is about 300 billion in revenue and has 300,000 employees across the US. And uh, CVS, as I said, is a very large company, ranked number four on the Fortune 100. What's in your upbringing, you'll say, prepared you for what, for many people, is a dream job.
1: Thanks, Max. I mean, I think um, so much of it is the experiences that you have as you move throughout the course of your career. And I will tell you, as you know, as you well know, I started my career at United Technologies and I actually started my career... As a lawyer, um, I went back to law school after I had both of my boys and um, start really wanted to get into a corporate environment and practice law. And I was fortunate enough to do that at United Technologies. And one of the things when I was interviewing four jobs out of law school, the law firms were constantly asking, what, what do you want to specialize in? United Technologies recruited it with a very different value prop. They said, we don't want our lawyers to specialize. We want our lawyers to move around our businesses and to move around different areas of the law so that we can create general counsel candidates who know when to bring in deep external help as uh, resources. And that was very attractive to me. I get bored if I stay in one space too long. And so I love that concept. So I will tell you, I didn't stay in legal and that wasn't planned at UT, but they did very much keep that commitment and they were very intentional about, about moving talent around between our different companies, between different areas of law initially, and then HR when I moved into the HR function. And I think that's probably the most important thing that you can do to get ready, is get as many experiences, and I call them lenses, that you can use um, by, by moving around and growing. And the one piece of advice I would have is do it quickly. Do it early in career if you can. Don't start when you're at the senior levels. I started a little bit later, and so those moves are higher risk. But you know, early in career, really, you know, every two to three years, think about you know what should I be doing to further develop those lenses in how I see things and broaden my perspective. So I think that's probably um, the yeah, most. Yeah,
0: that's, that's terrific. And you touched on that. You know, there's some choices that you need to make, and. Um but then you need to choose before between going to to the courtroom or going to corporate. How how did you make that decision? Why why did you choose the corporate path instead of um, practice, for example?
1: It's so funny, um, Max, because I will tell you, um, when I was in law school, I had in my head I wanted to work in a corporate environment. I'm pretty business-minded, and I've actually had a number of business leaders say, you should run a business. You're really, uh, you're very business-focused. So I kind of knew that about myself, so I had a leaning towards corporate law, but um, in all honesty, the law school and my advisors at the law school kept pushing me towards a law firm you know, work at a law firm first and then go into a corporate job. And so I ended up interviewing uh, in law firms and in corporations, ended up with uh, a lot of that input from my, uh, my advisors at the law school, accepting my important internship at a law firm, which was a great learning experience. It was a really rich learning experience and I'm glad I'm ha- I had it and halfway through the summer, I said to myself, like, what am I doing? <laughs> I knew what I wanted. I wanted to be in a corporate environment. I had actually turned down an internship with United Technologies to take one at the law firm. And I made the decision at that point, no, I'm going to go back to UT and tell them, you know, I did get an offer for the firm. I said, I'll turn that down. I won't interview on campus. I would love to come there. And I went there. And I think it, I just knew about myself that the um, that kind of business lens is one that's and attractive and compelling for me, and so I knew I knew that about myself, and it's proven to be very true. I did have a great experience at the firm, and you know, really got that courtroom. I got to go into the courtroom and uh, be with a partner when we did a summary judgment motion that I wrote. So, I mean, really wonderful experience. But it was clear to me, like this is just not the best fit for what I want to do.
0: Yeah, I see absolutely. Uh, I think there's definitely a pull for you for the corporate environment but there's also a pool for people. And uh, I I (laughs) see that with with the posts that you make on LinkedIn and always at this time of the year, you tell your story and you encourage people around uh, taking the mammogram. Would you share your story around being a cancer survivor?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Max, for for me, um, I'm actually a two-time cancer survivor. Um, When I was, uh, when my oldest son was just two years old, um, I, I found some lumps in my neck, um, and it was a, a long time ago and they, they knew it probably wasn't good, but they didn't know what kind of cancer it was. So I had about a six week period where, you know, the, 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 prognosis was unclear and could have been pretty bad. And, um. I didn't. I didn't deal well at that time with that. I kept looking at this this two year old, and all I could think was, I won't see what he becomes. He won't know me, and I got um, really um, wound up, focusing on, you know, how do I make, how how do I make him know me? How do I get to know him? And um, I, I kind of, I, I wasn't particularly productive during that time. When I came out of my surgery, the, the surgeon told me right away it was a papillary cancer, which is a type of thyroid cancer, which while it had spread into my lymph nodes, that was a type of cancer that didn't spread through the blood. So the prognosis was very, very positive. And at that moment, like at that moment, I was like, okay, I'm going to live this life. Differently, And I'm going to live this life with no regrets. And I'm going to do everything I thought I wanted to do. And I'm going to make sure I value every moment and every day. And it was such an important um, turning point for me. And that's what made me go back to law school, in all honesty, was that um, that uh incident and then you know interestingly when i applied to law school and got in i found out i was pregnant with zach my second son and so i actually started law school with a a a four-year-old and a six-week-old but was just really passionate about i'm going to do this and this is the way i'm going to live my life and it worked for me really well when i was um seven years ago um i had a birthday um and went to italy to celebrate my birthday and when i came back i had a mammogram scheduled and um i was really tempted to cancel it um, because i had been out of the office for a few days and we all know how that is and so i thought my first instinct was automatically i need to move this like i can't not today i didn't even realize the scheduling and i was like looked at the calendar and i thought not today i'm going to cancel it and for some reason i didn't i went to the mammogram very quickly, I learned I needed to have a biopsy, and very quickly, I learned it was breast cancer. And the one thing I can tell you, you know, that's a positive for me is my second experience with cancer. I brought all of that um, learning from my first experience. So I was very positive. I was very committed like, I've got this, uh, you know, I'm going to be fine. We are, I'm going to, I'm going to conquer all of this. And I brought with me to that second experience, you know, some of the strength that I I didn't have the first time around, but I feel passionately that far too many women like me do just really quickly react and say, let me cancel that, I can move it. And, you know, if I had moved that appointment, I think my prognosis in terms of the cancer diagnosis would have been very different. So I feel like if I can make, I have people, Write me notes and call me and say, Lori, I got my mammogram. And I either found something that we caught quickly or I, I, I'm fine. And I did it because I, I heard your message. And that is what makes me want and need to share it as much as I can.
0: I know that's so powerful. And, and I'm sure, you know, every year there's out there at least one person whose life is changed by by your message. So thank you very much for doing that.
1: Thanks, Max.
0: I- and we, you know, I said you have a drone to people and we know how people are central to organization success, you know. And, and, and I think um, when you got appointed at CVS, you said, and I quote, business don't create value, people do, which I found very powerful. Um, and, and also your product at CVS is all around people, is about people's health. Can you share with us what does it mean for you uh, as a chief people officer, to look after people.
1: Yeah, I mean, Max, first of all, you, you know, you said it at the beginning, you know this about me, I'm passionate about people, I'm passionate about relationships. I think people, um, people for us, certainly at CBS Health, because we're a service company, you know, they differentiate, they make us great or not great. We could have the best strategy, we could have the best um, resources, but if our people aren't on board and excited and representing us in the way that um, we need them to, we're not gonna be the best that we can be. So when Karen, who's our CEO, um, called to try and get me to come to CVS and you know we ultimately agreed I would come, I replaced someone who had a CHRO title, Chief Human Resources title. And I said, Karen, one of the things that really matters to me is changing that title to Chief People Officer, because I do think That speaks volumes to the the value of the job, the value of our people, the messaging to our people. And I really believe, particularly at CVS, and I'm almost two years in now, that purpose and people are our competitive advantage. And we've been really thoughtful about how do we design our culture to focus on that. And, um, you know, we asked our colleagues, we, you know, people say to me often, Lori, you know, do you own culture? And I'm like, no, no, I don't own culture. I can be a steward for culture. I can help us think about how to create the culture, but we all own culture and our leadership team uh, certainly owns the culture. So when we were creating the behaviors that we thought would be important to reflect our culture, my HR team didn't do that. We, We gathered people from across the organization and created our purpose statement and our behaviors. And that made it much more powerful because it was a voice of our people. And interestingly, um, our purpose statement, which is we bring our heart to every moment of your health was initially we bring heart to every moment of your health. And one of our pharmacists in one of our stores reached out to us and said, I think it should be our heart to every moment of your health and it makes it even more compelling. And we immediately changed it and her name was Kelly. And I was like, God, Kelly, Thank, she said, I can't believe you're, 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 you're editing your purpose statement to reflect my comments. And I said, Your comments make it so much better. So, uh, you know, I think that is really, really important. I think, you know, it creates for us kind of a, a common understanding across such a large workforce about what, what we expect of our people. And we have over a million recognitions that were sent this year on you know, our colleagues demonstrating one of our hard at work behaviors. Um, and we've really you know kind of focused on how do we make sure we thank people and we recognize people when we're doing the things that we think and we've defined as really important. Spoke at our leadership live conference to our senior um, leadership team just a couple months ago. And I said, while that's really great and really important, culturally what's even more important is making sure that you have conversations when people aren't demonstrating our leadership behaviors because people look up at the leadership of the organization and we all you know, have moments where we trip and we need to make sure, and for what we found, the data shows that for every one recognition um, that you need five, Recognition moments to offset one moment where someone's not demonstrating the behaviors, and you don't correct that. So wow. we're really focusing on balancing not just recognizing the positive, but also in the right setting, in the right way, having conversations with our leaders when they're not demonstrating the behaviors.
0: Wow, that's so powerful, you know. And and, and you said something that's very important because I, I've noticed that when we have conversation around culture and promoting the cultural behavior, we tend to turn to the HR team and say, oh, HR, you own this topic, but in fact, it's owned to everyone. And I was uh, at the training recently where the, 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 the they presented what they call the, the, the profit chain. And at the end, you have financial performance, which to me is very important as a CFO. Um, but then to get that financial performance, you need to have, your customers to be happy with uh, with you, so you need customers to to generate that, and to have happy customers, you need to have engaged employees. So it's to really start with the employees and do everything around engage the employees. So. I, Thank you for sharing that.
1: We've been really focused the past two years uh, since Karen joined as our CEO on customer centricity because when you think about healthcare, it's really important that you're you're listening, you're hearing, you're reacting to what the customers need. But also we added just last year, right alongside that customer centricity, our colleague centricity, because we recognize you can't get to customer centricity without colleague centricity and colleagues feeling like they're empowered and they're working somewhere that they're excited and inspired to be. So I I couldn't agree more with your comments.
0: That's clear. Now colleagues around the world and people in general are really going through some difficult time. Now we have a war in Europe, we have the rising interest rate and people are feeling it in their pocket. Uh, What would you say for leaders in general are the most pressing challenge uh, these days?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's you know I've been around for a long time, Max, and I will say, in my own experience, it's far and away the most um, the most unsettled time that that I've seen. Uncertain, unsettled. You know, at there we talked when we went as a leadership team, we talked about VUCA environments, volatile uncertain, complex, and ambigu- ambiguous, I think we're smack in the middle of that in a way that none of us could ever have imagined. And so I think really one of the most important things that leaders have to do is focus on being ready to embrace change, embrace transformation, and be agile enough to address the moment we're in. And, and understand that one thing we definitely cannot count on is in this world right now is predictability we're going to need to make quick decisions and we're always not going to we're not always going to have all of the data that we would love to have in order to make that and you know a couple of things i would share just in terms of you know the 2022 global risk report coming out of the world economic forum is that you know right now that report says that only 16% of leaders feel positive and optimistic about the outlook for the world and just 11% believe that the global recovery is going to accelerate. And so that means like we need to be ready to pivot. I talk When we talk about return to the workplace at CVS, every time I address our colleagues, I say, the only thing I know about return to the workplace is where we start and where we end won't be the same place. I'm positive. We're we're not going, and we've already pivoted a couple of times. We're not going to get it right at first, and a lot of what we need to know to get there hasn't even happened yet. And so, you know, that need for perfection, that need to have all the data and not make a decision until everything is buttoned up, we got to throw that out the window, and you know, start a journey. And I think that change management is a huge piece of that. And taking our colleagues on that journey with us so that we tell them, here's what we know, here's what we don't know, here's how we're making decisions, and here's how we're going to make decisions to pivot based on what we hear from all of you. And I think that communication and change management will be absolutely positively critical in this world.
0: No, absolutely. You're right. And you talked about the need to pivot, and I think you're you're right there. I I think I read in one of your recent reports at CVS that uh, when you look at the health industry in general, there is a deep in trust. And that's what's come from some of those surveys. What are you doing to rebuild that trust uh, from 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 your from your customers and people in general?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I think all of us can point to times where they've interacted with the healthcare system and the experience has been less than ideal. I think the most important critical step in terms of reestablishing trust or creating trust. I think it's almost even creating trust, although I'll give you some data in a minute about um, you know, how, how it's eroding, but is is listening. I mean it really is kind of making sure that we're not presuming we know what the answer is, that we're listening to to our customers and hearing what's working and what's not. So, um, you know, we, we need to make sure that we're finding ways to get feedback very consistently from our customers. We have more than 16 million pieces of customer feedback that we get every year. And that's some of the most important information that our company gets. And we have a team of consumer experience champions that really kind of Take a look at the data. Take a look across the enterprise and share, you know, progress and best practices, but also, as importantly, places where we really need to look at pivoting and making some change. And you know, I, I alluded to it just a second ago, Max. But you know, what the um, 2022 Health Trends report that we issued um, shows is that Americans trust the healthcare system less now than they did in the past. They trusted the healthcare system at a 73% level in 1966 and 44% in 2021. And if you think about the advances in healthcare and all the medical work and research and um, opportunities that have been created, that's pretty disturbing.
0: No, absolutely. And uh, so it's, uh, it's at the same time something that we recognize that we need more. And at the same time, there's this, this deep interest that people maybe p- because people want to trust more. And it's about how to reestablish that.
1: I think trust is really, really important in, in terms of healthcare. And, you know, like we, we do have data that shows that trust is, you know, people who who trust the system are more likely to be vaccinated. You know, they're more likely to agree with public health measures. They're more likely to have a recent checkup, which is so important in terms of early detection. So, building that trust in terms of outcomes, which is most important, but also in terms of costs and burdening the system, is is going to be absolutely essential for us to do what we want to do in terms of our strategic uh, agenda.
0: There's a lot of innovations uh, going on at the moment. And the challenge will be to have employees keeping up the pace. I'm talking about my own experience. I see our HR team bringing a lot of new technologies and uh, innovating on the processes. But I'm probably old school, like to have my HR BP always turning to them. But in fact, you know, there's a lot of things that can be done automatically. So that you really take the value of your HR team beyond just processing data
1: yeah i mean what i want to do in hr you're exactly right max what i want to do is elevate the work that my hr team is doing right work that is transactional that is repeatable that can be done more quickly with um technology i want to put that with technology i think those you know you know me um you know these hr business partner roles are so very important. And those are the roles where you want strategy and relationships and you know, have the tough conversations and have the right conversations. And I think when you can free up some space um, for the HR talent to do more of that, the function, um, the function is elevated in a way that's really important. The quality work is elevated and the outcomes are better. So I couldn't agree more.
0: Very good. Um, You know, this podcast is about leadership and it's for corporate executives and entrepreneurs who want to grow in their leadership skills. What is your definition of leadership?
1: You know, um, Max, I will tell you that um, when I was at, UT in the talent role. I was asked to go uh, with the Pratt and Whitney team to Thayer, which is on the West Point campus and it's a leadership program um, that Pratt and Whitney was using, and evaluate it for broader applicability across UT. And I will say um, that was one of the most impactful programs that I've attended. We all go to lots of uh, leadership programs. One of the things they had to do at there that was hard but incredibly important and something I carry with me um, every day as I lead was create your, my own leadership philosophy. And, you know, we were being taught by a four-star general, General Reimer, who, you know, with all of us, when we think about how hard our jobs are and how hard the decisions we have to make every day, you know, it, when you're we're listening to a four-star general talk about the types of decisions that he's making, which impact the lives of human beings day in and day out. Um, You realize, um, you know, what we do is hard, but it could be a lot harder. And you also, you know, he taught us why having this leadership philosophy is so important. And he challenged us to make it short enough so that you can remember it, you can talk about it often, you can ask for feedback on it, and you can share it consistently with your team, with your peers, with your boss, and so that people know what you stand for. So for me, and the first time I wrote mine, because I'm a lawyer, it was like 12 bullets with you know a lot in it that I could never remember. And General Reimer said, no, 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 you gotta make it four or three or five, but not 10. And and it should reflect who you are as a person and who you are as a leader, personally and professionally. So for me, my experiences and how my life was transformed by these two cancer experiences kind of plays into all of that. So my four uh, leadership principles, and my team knows it, Johanna, my chief of staff, you know, could probably recite it better than me. Number one is do the right thing, especially when it's hard. People always do the right thing when it's easy. It's easy to do the right thing when it's easy. It's very hard to do the right thing when it's hard. And too often we're tempted to just let it go. And that matters. So, you know, that's one. Two, and I mean, I think you, you, you know this about me, relentlessly build relationships of trust, respect, and candor sideways down and up. So for me, you know, people focus a lot and we need to. On interacting with our boss, that's important. But in the end, what's going to make you most successful, most engaged, and most proud of what you do is making sure those those relationships with your peers and with your team are every bit, if not more important than that relation, that managing up that everyone does. The third one is, you know, hire people who are better than you empower them, hold them accountable, give constant feedback, that's a gift, and then watch them soar, which is a joy. And finally, this one is really about me personally and professionally, you know, be the best you can be every day. You know, I look at every day personally as like a beautiful extra day that I'm on this planet. I think we need to be the best we can in our personal and our professional lives every day. And to me, that means, Um, celebrating successes, moving quickly and taking some reasonable risks, particularly in the environment that we're in and learning and adapting from your mistakes and not being afraid to make them, to own them and to learn from them. So for me, (laughs) that's my leadership philosophy.
0: That's so powerful. You know, I've been taking notes. You know, that's why I like to do these podcasts because I learned so much from leaders like you. So do the right thing especially when it's hard, relentlessly build relationship, empower others, and be the best every day. It's easy. (laughs) Excellent. So how do you go about doing that every day at CVS? What's your strategy to develop leaders?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of um, developing leaders, you know, I bring a lot, you know, I bring a lot of you know, kind of how I was developed, which I value tremendously. So we spend a lot of time, you know, really focused on, um, you know, focused on creating mobility opportunities, looking at how do we develop people experientially in ways, you know, we try to make sure our, our colleagues understand how to build relationships. We talk a ton about sponsorship and I was, fortunate enough very early in my career, before the word was used in the way that it is, to have a sponsor who affected me profoundly. And so people often say to me, how do we get sponsors for you know, this person or that? And I'm like, you don't get sponsors for people. People get sponsors by being exposed to leadership and then having leadership being willing to take reasonable risks and bet their career on these people. And so we look to find sponsorship opportunities. We try and outline career paths. We have the equivalent of three fortune 50 businesses. So, and they're related. So we have a huge opportunity to move our talent across our three businesses, to give them, you know, a career with one company. And we did that well, I think at UT as well, um, so that people can stay and leverage the relationships they've built, the, 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 the uh, reputation that they've created for themselves, but be learning very, very different work. For me personally, Max, you know, every time I moved and I moved a lot in my career, in the first six months, I'm like, what have I done? You know, this is hard. I don't think I can, I, I don't feel like I'm as effective as I was, you know, just six months ago in a job that I, I knew really well. And how do I create that value quickly? And at the end of a year, you know, I always look back and say, "Wow, I could not have forced myself to learn that much that quickly without making this change." So I think we really try and um, create career paths and educate our our teams about how to follow those paths and move across our businesses. I think we focus um, we have a talent team uh, that we've created at our executive leadership level where we talk about talent, that we make sure that we as a leadership team are being exposed to talent, that we should get to know when Karen and I are out in the field together, we have lunches with our high potential talent, which I, we both would say is the high spot of our day. And we get to know people and it's wonderful because they write us, they stay in touch with us and we we learn from it. And so I think really just having, um, visibility, commitment, um, you know, lots of communication about ways to grow in the organization and making it easy is, is what's important. And by no means, Max, are we perfect there. We have, we have lots to uh, continue to do.
0: No, absolutely. And I want to come back to, this. I think you are, you are right, you know, giving opportunity to people to do different things. And um, over the years, I've seen a lot of examples of Really bright, talented leaders who get promoted very quickly through the ranks. And then, you know, the transition doesn't go well. And they end up, you know, losing their job or have their career interrupted. Now, you have moved through five very large HR roles over the past 10 years. And you seem to have been that looks looked like you found the secrets for a successful leadership transition. Would you mind sharing with us what, what that is?
1: First of all, it's about relationships. And I will tell you, um, it's e- it was easy for me at the company I grew up with to move. Once I moved once or twice, it was easy for me to move across businesses because people knew who, who I was. They knew they could count on me. They can, knew what they could expect from me. So when I went, when I left UT and went to Aetna several years ago, I realized it was very important to recreate those, you know, kind of those expectations, what people know who I am, what they can expect, you know, and, and rebuild that trust, you know, with a new set of people. And so every time I move, the first thing I do is try and, you know, get out there and And build relationships with people that I need to know and that I want to know and that they can know me and trust me and know what to expect from me. I think that's really, really important every time you move. And when I ask, when I interview people, I always ask people about what's your first 90 days going to look like? And if they don't say out there listening, you know, we, we call it listening tours here at CVS, but really being, you know, as expansive as they can in those first 90 days, understanding points of view, understanding strengths and opportunities, building those relationships. It's so important. And those first 90 days in those jobs are usually the only time that you really have that 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 little safety net to do it. And if you miss the window, it's very hard to um, to be successful. So for me, it's all about um, making sure you, you know. when I was at Sikorsky, my first CHRO job was at Sikorsky and I was like, I know nothing. I'm not, I have an engineering son. I know nothing about how helicopters fly. I, I don't know how the TV picture gets into my TV screen and I don't want to. So when I got there and I was on the leadership team and we were having meetings and we were talking about all of the operational issues, I went and found an engineer. And I said, I want to meet with you once a week. And I want you to teach me like the physics, the, um, you know, the, the anatomy of helicopters, how they fly, what, you know, so that when I'm in these leadership meetings, number one, I understand what's being said. And number two, uh, the, the president of that company said to me, I want 50% of your job to be running HR. And 50% of your job to be running the company and asking non HR leadership questions, which was the best thing any leader ever said to me. Um, and so I felt to do that, I needed to really get that technical knowledge. So, you know, taking those early days and really making sure you're creating the relationship and you're creating the foundation on the business and acronyms. Tell people when you don't know what an acronym stands for. Um tell them, don't just presume like I, I used to just kind of in my head figure out oh, this is what this acronym stands for. About three percent of the time I was right. And if you put the wrong acronym in a sentence, you know, it it's it's not a good thing. So uh
0: wow. are- so powerful. I wish we had all day long to continue the conversation, <laughs> Laurie. It's so powerful. Thank you very much. And um, as we get you know to to the end of our conversation here today, there's one question I like to ask my guests, which is, you know, you participate in a lot of interviews, you get interviewed a lot, you, you have a lot of interactions. What is one question that you wish people will ask you? What's one question you wish I would have asked you to the end? How would you answer that?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I mean, that's a really predictable one for me, um, Max, because when I interview people, I always, always, and people come back to me and talk to me. I say, talk to me about the fingerprints that you've left on an organization. And I define fingerprints as something that is strategic and transformational that endures over time. And so um, I find that I was asked once in an interview, if I could only ask one question, what would it be? And I said, that is what it would be. And it's because it it tells you a lot about the person, both in terms of what they value, but then also how they operationalize what they value. And so, fingerprints is the question. You know, I always I always go to, and I I've made a lot of decisions on hiring around the fingerprints question. And for me, um, you know. In terms of fingerprints, it's 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 you know, when I leave behind it's the culture and the talent that is in place, the quality of the talent and the, the state of the culture that is the fingerprint that I'm most proud of. So at Otis, for instance, we had done a tremendous amount of work on culture and a lot of it began before I joined as the head of human resources, when Karen asked me to take the job here at CVS Health, she said to me, and Karen knows because I had worked with her before. She said, Lori, I'm, she was taking on the CEO role. She said, the two fingerprints I want to leave when I'm gone are around leadership and culture. And I said, Karen, that makes it impossible for me to say no to this job. Because if I have a CEO who's completely aligned with what I see as important and distinguishing in terms of our ability to be successful, transforming this company. Who could ask for anything more?
0: So powerful. And I can add one additional feedback when you left behind. I thought it's Lori, and that's one conversation we had once. Um, after a very difficult meeting that I had with uh, a leader who did not probably behave perfectly well, but you took it so personally and you were able to to turn the situation around for me. And I think that's touching point uh, stayed with me till this day.
1: Well, Max, I remember that. And the one thing I would say, and I've tried, this is one of my learnings. I always try to hold myself, like pay it forward. Like one day do the same thing, cause it matters. Like in those tough moments, it really matters to people. So uh, thank you for remembering. I remember as well. And uh, thank, thank you.
0: you. So what would be three books that you recommend to our audience and why?
1: So I'm gonna give you two that are, um, you know, are, are related to work and one that's that's, that's fiction, but that just, it, I, I really, it was a hard book to read, but I enjoyed it, I learned a lot from it and it's, it's impactful to me. The two that I'd recommend that are work-related, um, one is from uh, Becky Halstead, who's a general um, and she was uh, an instructor, we brought the CVS leadership team to there as well. And she worked with us and it's called 24 seven. The first person you must lead is you. And it's a great, great account of an amazing, she's one of the um, early, earliest females to graduate from West Point. She rose to uh, a, a, a general position. She had some really amazing and incredibly challenging jobs. And it's she just shares in a very transparent and open way, you know, her learnings and mistakes that she made, and you know, it, it, it's an easy read. It's incredibly powerful. It goes back in my mind to the point of, um, to 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 the point of, um, you know, you you need to you need to not be afraid to acknowledge that you're going to make mistakes. We all do. The most important thing we do is learn from them and develop kind of a leadership style that's reflective of all those learnings that we have. The second one is a book by this guy, whose name is Eric Harkins, who we had joined one of our CVS meetings and his book. It's a really quick read. You can read it in an hour or two. I wish I had written it when I was reading it. I was like, Oh my God, this is exactly what I would say. Um, It's a fast read. It's called great leaders. Make sure Monday morning doesn't suck. And it's, you know, think about, you know, Think about, you know, mon- the rough jobs that we've had that haven't been fun and Sunday nights, how you feel. And it's a really simple, very thoughtful, very quick read that helps leaders think about how do you make sure Monday mornings don't suck? And Monday mornings not sucking is really important in this world. And then finally, the one, uh, the fiction book is The Kite Runner um, by Khalid Hussain. And it's really about life-defining events you know, throughout the course of your life and how they Im- define who you become as a human being. And the book is hard because some of those life-defining um, events in this story are really, re- I mean, much harder, much sadder than um, the things I've dealt with. But they really, uh, the book is written in a way that caused me to think a lot about what are those events in my life and how do I make sure every day that I'm using those to make me a better person and a better leader.
0: Wow. That's so powerful. I'm going to order all these three books immediately. Uh, so powerful uh, insight. I'm sure we can get from there. What, what will be your final message to our audience today as we conclude the interview?
1: I mean, I think that... The, you know, knowing who you are as a leader personally is really important. Take the time to think about what really matters for you, what you want to stand for. And then, you know, at the end of every day, just take a minute and say, did I do that? And if I didn't, because you won't, every day you won't you won't have done what you wanted to do perfectly. And think about, you know, how am I staying true to what I wanna be? And how am I continuing to improve in a way that makes me better, but much more importantly, the people that I have the opportunity to influence better. And then the second piece, I think I said it before, Max, but it's really important. Pay it forward. I look at my own career and I think about people that have taken risks on me. And I, I, the first person that took a risk on me, I talked about him before and when he retired, I was like, hey, Bill, I can't even believe Again, never use sponsor. It wasn't a word yet in this context, but I said, I can't even believe how much I how grateful I am, how much I owe you, how many risks I took on you. And what he said to me, I'll never forget, which is, I never took a risk on you, Lori. I was absolutely certain you could do every single job I put you in. And and you know, think about what for me, how valuable that was. I wasn't certain for sure when he put me in those jobs. He was right. And he surrounded me with the resources and the support to allow me to be successful and, and pay that forward.
0: Wow. Thank you very much. That's so powerful. Always pay forward and uh, develop others as leaders.
1: Thanks so much, Max. I can't tell you how much. I really, truly have enjoyed this conversation oh, today. Thanks great. for having me.
0: Thank you very much. This was the Max Yao Leadership Podcast. Thank you for joining us. To listen to future episodes, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Until next time, keep being the leader everybody trusts and respects.